We live in this age now where like this sort of viral idea is what everyone wants to get. If you go onto TikTok, you want to get a viral video. If you go onto a podcast, you want to have like 100,000 listeners. But actually instant success is a really negative thing mm. because as soon as something shoots up really quickly, the only way is down. You actually want that slow growth. The reason why Man United fans still stay with Man United even when they're not playing well is because they've had that journey with them. They've been there since the beginning, so they'll follow them. It doesn't matter if they go down to the second league or whatever it is. And you need that within a brand. You need to have like the good times and the bad times, but your fans will stay there. And you can't get that with that sort of viral one-hit wonder. It's impossible. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor. And every week, my co-founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. We are joined today by Jamie Lang and Ed Williams, who are the founders of Candy Kittens. You guys must have tried these sweets. They're some of the nicest things I've ever eaten. Um, I've just been eating bags before they started. Uh, we're going to hear talk to them about their journey growing the brand. You know, we've got the, the brand you guys are yeah. most famous for here. Um, <laughs> Delicious. Have you tried it yet? I love it. Yeah, yeah the watermelon one. Absolutely love oh it. Oh my God, they're so, You know I, it's gluten-free. Yeah. You know it's like no harmful substances. I wasn't allowed to open these before you came, you know. No, you weren't. They were told to, to stay here. <laughs> so um, talk me about how you guys kind of came together and um, what was the kind of vision for the brand when you first, first started. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. I, I, um, I really had my arm twisted by Jamie, which is kind of how he came together, but sort of. I can so see the, we... I can see the, the <laughs> Exactly, yeah, I'm still recovering. Take the cuffs on. It's like a genie. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie and I met for a, a mutual friend just after uni, mm-hmm. and Jamie had this great idea of something called Candy Kittens. It was very different, I think, then. Jamie could probably tell you exactly what it I was. I wanted to be a, a, a sexy sweet shop at the beginning. Yeah. Yep. So the idea was, at the very beginning, was the things which were sort of popular at the time was Abercrombie & Fitch. <laughs> Just slightly had a bit of a down, down spiral since then. But that was kind of cool. If you looked at YouTube and things like that, what we're sort of really selling on YouTube were tips of like cute things or sexy things. It was kind of this real sort of like burst of like looking great, feeling great. It was all mm-hmm. kind of that stuff. And so I wanted to create a sweet shop that was sweet shop, but like cool and fun and sexy and different and all these different things. And when I say sexy, it doesn't mean like, you know, naughty, just it was just yeah, cool, fun. That's why I wanted to create. And that was JP's elevator pitch, basically. I said, well, it sounds okay, but if you're going to have the sweet shop, what sweets do you sell? And then that was almost this kind of light bulb moment, I guess, for us both, where we said, okay, look, there's this huge niche. Nobody is doing sweets that really appeal, mm-hmm. but everybody's eating something like Haribo. But that brand, really, it's kind of cheap product, cheap packaging, covered in cartoon characters. Does that speak to us? Not really. So how do we go and, and make something that challenges that? And then I guess the more you dig into it, the more you realize that there's bad ingredients and things could be better and you move through that. And it started, I guess, as a brand and packaging and then moved into, okay, let's make plant-based. Let's make mm-hmm. this carbon neutral. Let's do everything we can to make the best sweet. You had the brand name pretty early on because a lot of founders yeah. really struggle to get the name for what they're trying to do. I, yeah, I guess, Jamie, had the name, almost named before, before the idea in some ways. Mm. We, we created a ghost of I think also when it comes to, because I think what's important about these type of podcasts, right, is... A lot of people just sit here and they will talk to you probably about their journey and what they've done. And actually, that's kind of interesting, I suppose. But I think a lot of people have sort of probably heard us talk about our journey and stuff like that. I think what's something more interesting is is like like that, like how do we come up with things or what mm-hmm. happened or how you approach them. And I think a lot, a lot of the time, founders focus heavily on names. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, what are we going to call it? We've got to call it. No, that won't work. Honestly, if, if I had said to you, we, we call it Google, at the very beginning, you'd be like, that is the weirdest name. Like, what, who's going to remember Google? But you create brands aren't like based around their name. So Candy Kittens formed because it was candy, which is a universal term for confectionery. Mm-hmm. And kittens at the time were they going to be the representat- representatives of the brand. 
So they were going to be these amazing people who sold the sweets. So you were convinced that a brand would become whatever you wanted it to become? Yeah, for sure. Well, no, I knew it was going to be a confectionery brand, 100%. Yeah. It was just about what was the, the path towards it. But again, I think this is like really important to know is that like I said all the time, is we had no clue what we were doing. We, we had this vision to make a confectionery company and that's what we wanted to do. You know, calling it Candy Kinners, there are huge benefits to calling it Candy Kinners, which we didn't realize. Firstly, candy, obviously universal term, it's there, but having like a sort of face to a product, especially a confectionery product, like a kitten, making it more memorable that way, adding a, like an animal to a, a brand is like highly kind of like, it, for some reason it allows a consumer to be attached to it more. So if you look mm. at something like Andrex or you look at Penguin Books, you know, they have animals, ours was by mistake, we just like the idea of being called candy kittens. And we always say the same thing is that like naivety is what drove us towards it. Thinking about it as one bigger picture and maybe not being so hung up on the name is, is maybe where we were. And, and I guess, it, it, yeah, it got us there. So mm. worked in our case. There's yeah. probably examples where it, a name is important as well, I guess. But for us, it, it seemed like we could make the brand whatever we wanted it to be. Yeah, and that's, I think that's very fair because, you know, like you say, if you call it Google, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You create no. the, the identity afterwards. Yeah. Um, so you've done that, okay. How bad were the first samples? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, people always say they're terrible. Yeah, they're pretty. I think that some of the some of the first ones were pretty dodgy. We had a couple of different factories. I get the biggest challenge for us right at the beginning was how the, how the hell do you make sweets? Mm -hmm. Where do we go for this? And then sweets are produced in pretty industrial kind of quantities. It wasn't easy to go and make a couple of bags. So the the biggest hurdle was that we needed to make at least seventy five thousand bags of each flavor that we wanted to make. And we wanted to launch with that four, was the first minimal four order. flavors. Yeah, so that's kind of what we were trying to do. And to get those samples was, was hard work. So it was um, some interesting, some interesting mm. flavors being thrown around. And also, I think what's also important is a service-based business is actually like sort of almost easier sometimes, apart from you have to manage people. But when you're, having a, when you're selling a product, what's the easiest thing to do is kind of to um, take shortcuts. Because when you're setting up the business, so for us, what the easiest shortcut we could have taken was we could have just gone out there, got generic sweets, mm -hmm. pick a mix style sweets, just put them into our packaging and sold them. And that's like what a lot of other sweet brands have done. You know, no disrespect, but there was a brand that started at the same time as us by Maria Sharapova called Sugar Pova. Maria Sharapova is a far bigger name than I was or our brand was. Um, they just repackaged sweets. And the problem with doing that is that kind of, it's not really your product. You're then just a branding company. So our focus from the beginning was to always create the sweet and create mm -hmm. the best sweet possible. And so even though that was far more complicated for us and our samples weren't great at the beginning and our packaging, you couldn't read the back, which was <laughs> really good. But you, as you make the mistakes, you, you kind of learn and not taking shortcuts is a really important uh, lesson to learn, I think. A lot of people struggle with that kind of manufacturing piece. You know, where are we going to yeah. get made? How are we going to get made? How do we even, you know, speak to these people or even find them? You know, manufacturers are very notoriously difficult to find. So from your perspective, how, what did you do to find the right person? And how did you know it's the right person? And is they, are they still the right person? Yeah, mm. I mean, so we've, we've definitely moved around for a couple of different manufacturers for different products, different things. And, and I think one of the benefits of outsourcing the manufacturing for us is that we can go to the best people for the job mm -hmm. for each kind of piece of the puzzle. In broad terms, I think the best advice is to speak to everyone. And in the UK, we're really bad at that. So we're very guarded on our idea and we want to keep it to ourselves and we think everyone's going to copy us and steal us. Whereas actually just putting yourself out there and having the conversations, asking questions... In our experience, people more often than not are willing to help. And the introductions that we've had, perhaps looking back, sometimes it feels like we've been the luckiest guys in the world. But actually, you sort of make your own luck, right? You mm -hmm. go out there and ask the questions. Yeah. So that was probably broad, but in practical terms also, we, 
we went and walked around a trade show in Germany for five days, <laughs> spoke to every single manufacturer basically in Europe that was there, um, and whittled it down to the people that would want to work with us. And mm-hmm. the very first factory was basically the only one <laughs> that would. The first one. So the first factory was the only one that would work with us, and they would, we didn't have a lot of choice. Um, they were really nice guys. They helped us a lot. And then as we sort of built up a bit of, I suppose, credibility, we then had a bit more choice of who you can work with. But you have to, you have to get your hands dirty. And I think a lot of the time, we live in this world of comfort a lot of the time, right? Mm. You know, you can go and pick up a textbook and learn stuff. You have chat, GPT, whatever it is now, to write emails for you, whatever it is. And actually, especially when you're uh, creating, again, a sort of a product-based business, you have to go out there and discover yourself. And you have to put the groundwork in. You know, like Ed, I remember I, I wasn't even there because I was filming there. Ed flew to Germany. He had no idea what he was doing. We were 22 and 23 at the time. And he went around just speaking to different confectionery companies who have decades and some, you know, centuries of kind of history of making sweets and asking them to make our sweet that we haven't even, it, it was a ghost. It didn't even <laughs> exist. Um, so I think the biggest thing is getting your hands dirty at the beginning is so important. Do you think we've got uh, generations of people now who overlook the fact that actually hard work is put in? Because Definitely. they'll see... You know, they don't see that. They we're talking about, they see we were talking about this the other day. I think people, as a generation, are now pretty soft, which mm-hmm. is maybe not a popular opinion to have. But the reality is that we've gone through a period of COVID, which meant people could work from home. Mm-hmm. Every single person that tells you the reason about why they like working from home is really, when you dig into it, is because, oh, I can go for a run at this time. Oh, I can go and spend a bit more time with my dog. Oh, I can do... They're all non-work <laughs> reasons nobody's saying they want to work from home because it's actually better for their work yep. and if they do they think they're probably lying um yeah <laughs> so the reality is that the, the few that are willing to get out to the offices uh, we're surrounded right in the center of london here by a load of empty offices now mm-hmm. where are all those people mm. and i think that those people that are willing to get in are the ones that are going to get ahead so it's simple little things like that that can just give you an edge on the competition i think and, and also i don't think it's kind of relayed to founders businessmen um entrepreneurs whatever it is you know th- there's this whole kind of narrative where people sort of say that okay setting up a business is really hard and so what you your sort of idea of that right is that you go well you have to work loads of hours you have to work mm. this this and you hear the stories of elon musk sleeping on the floor of tesla to to make sure the car works and for sure there are occasions when that has to happen but actually i think where the real hard thing happens is juggling life that's what it's really hard being a, a founder and, and an MD and a CEO or whatever it is, is that you're juggling everything from social life to family life to friends life to your physical life and going to the gym and stuff like that. And that's what's really hard to do. And I think what happens now is that everyone has this blueprint in our eyes and we follow this blueprint. So when we're kids, for me, for example, we go, okay, we're going to turn 18 and we're going to be a footballer. That's what we're going to do. Or we're going to go and have, we're going to have our house in the south of France. Or we're going to be living here and having this and married and all those different things. And as we get older, we realize that our blueprint doesn't really add up to what we want it to be. And then we sort of sit there and go, oh, it's kind of tough on us. But mm-hmm. actually, people who are putting the groundwork and being persistent with these things, that's what's really hard. Being persistent in life is what's really hard. Well, it's, it's about expectations and reality. You know, like sure, you said, that yeah. blueprint is your expectations for life. Mm. You, know, you expect to walk into a good job, have a good career, have a beautiful wife, a beautiful partner. Mm. And then in reality, you know, you get to 25 and go, well, none of this has happened. I know. You, you go, okay, well, woe is me, woe is the world. And I think, as you said there, I think the big thing for entrepreneurs and business individuals is, is sacrifice. Because at some point, totally. something's got, you know, we've all got a um, limited amount of time in our lives. We have to pick choices of what we do. Mm. And those sacrifices people make for business is what, in the early days, is what can set you apart. Because without those sacrifices, you'll just carry on living a normal life. 
I also think that it's about being laser focused. Mm. And, and I think it's very easy. Okay, for example, you know, Ed and I, we, we start, we find Candy Killing Together, we start building. I'm doing Made in Chelsea at the time. So I'm off doing personal appearances or flying here and flying there. And Ed's seeing all that happened while running the business. And I'm doing all these things which are, you know, 23 years old, 22 years old, having a great time while running the business. Ed is just sitting there running the business the whole mm. time. And it's very easy. Ed can easily get distracted with the thing. It's really important not to be distracted and know mm. exactly where you're going. And I think a lot of the time what happens is, is people get distracted of what course they're on. Mm. I think the other thing is that um, level of honesty, right? So you've got to be able to look at yourself and say, is this the best it can be? And maybe it, off, more often than not for us, the answer is probably no, not yet. And we can be our own biggest critics. I think that's something that can then drive you to get those improvements. Are we where we want to be? No. Are we honest about it though? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, particularly in this age of kind of social media, and you talk about the kind of the generation that maybe is struggling with this, is that everybody wants to look like they've already made it. Everybody wants to already be there. And that's impatience, but also then kind of kidding yourself that are you really happy with that? Is it the product the best it can be? Mm. And we've kind of got to say internally for ourselves and the team, which is better is possible. And every single thing we do, we know that better is possible next time around. Yep. Um, and it maybe can sometimes feel a little bit like we're just never happy. But the reality is that it's, that's the kind of driving force, I think, behind everything we're doing is how do we always improve and make it better? How important is the partnership in the two of you? Because obviously two people come together with different opinions. We talked about this from a relationship with <laughs> having fiancés and going through mm. weddings. And you know, when any interview will come together, they've got different opinions. But in business, it's a little bit like a, a marriage. You know? I think it's really important because otherwise... Um, you can just get so hung up on your own point of view, right? And I think being able to have different people around the table, whether that's in your partnership, in, in our case, which is good. You know, Jamie and I are polar opposite on so many topics and things, experiences and whatever in our lives, but actually come together in that middle spot, the, the, the old Venn diagram of kind of yep. what we believe in. And I think that, that that's worked for us. It could also be directors, advisors, mentors, other people around you. If you just want to kind of hold a mirror up and have all of your ideas repeated back to you, then mm. do you need that person? Mm. But if you have people that really challenge, I think it's kind of makes us all better, right? Mm. But, but also, again, a lot of that was down to luck, right? When Ed and I met, we didn't know each other. And we didn't, you know, I didn't know his personality, what his likes or dislikes were. Mm. Um, and neither Ed really towards me. So, it, you know, that kind of like synergy together is pretty rare. But I think vitally important with, you know, there's this sort of tendency that you go into business with friends and we hear the cliches, never go into business with family or friends. And actually, totally there is something within that because you have to have tricky conversations with each other. Um, You have to be the Jekyll and Hyde to each other, 100%. And Ed definitely knows that I have positives that Ed doesn't have and likewise all the way around. And you've got to be okay with that. And and I don't think Ed and I have ever really had an argument Mm. because we trust each other completely we know where we stand. And if Ed says we're going to do something, then I agree and kind of the other way around. And, and also, I think there's an important point of going back to what we were saying before is like about this, um, you know, this idea of success as well. We live in this age now where like this sort of viral idea is what everyone wants to get. If you go onto TikTok, you want to get a viral video. If you go onto a podcast, you want to have like 100,000 listeners. And actually, so you want that instant success. And, it's, and every, we sit in everyday life all the time on YouTube and all these different things. But actually, instant success is a really negative thing. Mm. Because as soon as something shoots up really quickly, the only way is down. You actually want that slow growth because you build then... Um, well, that's when learning happens. Definitely. Well, learning you build learning loyalty, happens, right? Because yeah. if you... Variety is, is fluke. You know, totally. That's, exactly. that's the world we live in now, is that you can go on video, you can go on TikTok, and you can 
randomly make a viral video and then the next day you could be on the news, for example. Yep. You don't learn anything. You yep. learn stuff from slowly, sustainably building and then that hockey stick feels like an overnight success. Yeah, yep. but, but, but also, I don't, you know, even that you don't really learn stuff, I think more the problem is you don't really build loyalty. Mm. And I think that is, loyalty is everything when it comes to, especially your consumers, right? You know, the reason why Man United fans still stay with Man United even when they're not playing well is because they've had that journey with them. They've been there since the beginning, so they'll follow them. It doesn't matter if they go down to the second league or whatever it is. And you need that within a brand. You need to have like, the good times and the bad times, but your, 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 you know, your fans will stay there. And you can't get that with that sort of viral one-hit wonder. It's impossible. So when did you start realising that, that you had fans of the brand then? When did that Ten become? Ten years. <laughs> yeah, it took us a little while. I mean, we were, I suppose we were in a really fortunate position that Jamie had fans of his own kind of profile, if you like, through Made in Chelsea. But it's not an easy transition. You don't go from liking Jamie to liking No, but sweets. I think, we did, I, we think yeah. we did do quite a good job, even if I say so myself, kind of bringing those, that engaged audience. There was an mm. audience there. And it was then, okay, how do we share the story with them and bring them along? So we had pop-up shops and all kinds of events. So we had no sweets at all. But we, I suppose, were brave enough to kind of put it out there and say, okay, look, this is what we're trying to do. Come mm-hmm. and have a look, touch it, feel it, experience it with us. And that was the thing, I guess, that kind of got people along and built those fans, if you want to call them that, that are still buying the sweets now. Mm-hmm. So it took us probably two and a half years to, to really, really sit, get the product that you see in front yeah. of you today. Do you, remember who the, do you remember who the first proper customer was that you don't know? Who's not in your network? Yeah, yeah well, we launched a website um, and... Yeah. Had no product at all to sell. And we thought, okay, if this website's launching, there was kind of a lot of social media yeah. kind of hype before we launched it, um, which was mainly Twitter back then. And we thought, okay, let's just put a product on there just in case, because the website was just going to be kind of a blog. Let's put a T-shirt up. And we just mocked up on Photoshop a white T-shirt that said, I'm a candy kitten, put the website live. And the next morning we sold 20,000 T-shirts. We didn't know we any. Didn't have the t-shirts. We didn't know a single one of those people. <laughs> we, had, we had no T-shirts at all. So then we kind of ran around a little bit like headless chickens trying to work it all out and send these t-shirts out. But that, I suppose, is the first moment when you go, okay, cool. If we can sell something like that that we didn't mm. really put a huge amount of thought into, <laughs> honestly, um, then we can probably sell some sweets and we yeah. can make that happen. But, but again, I think the, the, what, are, what happens in these podcasts, right, is that someone listening to this or viewing this or wherever they're seeing it is going, okay, that guy did that TV show made in Chelsea. They got a marketing thing there. They, there's also this idea that I'm son of a billionaire. Like, so, I mean, I wish the billionaire thing was true. It's not. <laughs> and, and also, you know, the main Chelsea thing, yes, that is true. That was a helping hand. But you still have to build these. It takes these, you so far. I, it, yeah. and, and I, I completely agree with you because I've seen that situation firsthand where going back to Maria Sharpova, bigger audience than you, you think that if you drop a product out there, it's going to sell instantaneously. Yeah, it, doesn't. it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, converting a following to a customer is a completely different ambition than it is to get someone to like you on Instagram because you've got totally. to have so much more in here in the products than you can imagine because otherwise every single person who had a big following would have a billion dollar brand so yeah. true. I, think it, I mean the sugar pover thing is a really good example right we talked about names earlier it's a fantastic name yep the product inside just didn't live up and we yep. were absolutely adamant that the sweets had to be something that could stand in their own two feet mm. Jamie's face or name has never been anywhere near the product so there's a lot of our consumers that buy it because of Jamie there's a whole other half that actually buy it because it's hit a niche that was yeah, relevant. Yeah. Completely that. And I was going to say, and that's it. I was going to say, the thing is, is that, you know, what we did, it, it's about faking it till you make it. And I can't, like, say that enough to people doing it. What happens is, is that as when you're starting a business, everyone wants to make, say you're selling mugs, they want to make the perfect groove here and the perfect groove there and this and that and all those different things. And that's fine. But 
perfection is, is non-existent. And actually something about just starting is really good. So for us, and fake it to make it, we um, know a guy who works with, with planes and uh, he does all the you know, different stuff in terms of like the, the blankets and things like that. And the reason why he got that, that sort of listing with them is because he said he could make the products. And then he had to fly to China and find out how to do it. And so a lot of people have done that. So I think there is something about just getting your product out there. We had no T-shirts. We had no suites. We had nothing. But we just got the brand out there. And actually, people start following the brand. And then they buy into the product as long as it's good and all those different things. I think people waste time. Yeah. Kind slightly. of say yes and work it out later. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I honestly it's think, been, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been our business plan. And it's not necessarily maybe the most, I guess, smart idea but it's kind of worked for us for sure mm. you should be saying no very very quickly yes very quickly and just learning and developing and trying exactly and I think it there's too many people you know i've got people close to me who are trying to launch brands and they're trying to make it absolutely perfect from day one you know this has to be here this has to be there and i'm like you just need to put something out there and let sure. the world decide because you need, actually need your cons- customer feedback to shape where it's going to go because like you said those conversations in the room that you guys are having is two people versus you know seven billion in the world who are actually mm. going to shape the product more than you two are yeah, well, I'll probably butcher the quote, but it's something along the lines of perfection is the enemy of progress or, yep. or success or whatever. And that couldn't be more true, right? We, we had a product, you said, what did the first samples taste like? I can tell you not very good compared to what we have now. <laughs> and the, the first packaging, you couldn't read the print on the back because it was printed in a color that was too light and all these different things. And, and you, we've never sort of strived for perfection. We're always striving just to have those a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Yeah, when things are easy, people think they're going to progress, but they're not. Then mm. you ha- things have to be hard, because once they are hard, you then learn from it. So you have to make things hard for yourself. And if you're not making things hard for yourself, then you're not progressing forward. For sure. Absolutely love it. So, you know, we're on the, the summit here. You know, we, what we talk to founders about is, you know, what are they working towards? What is that kind of like moment where they're going to say, this is what my achievement is? And I think when you've got two co-founders, you know, that ambition of where you're trying to reach might be different. Do you guys have that alignment in terms of what you're trying to achieve, be it like an exit or, you know, some other kind of form of um, deal involved in the business? I think I can jump in quite quick because I'm quite clear that we strove from the beginning to sort of knock Haribo off their perch. Mm -hmm. And it still feels like we've got an awful long way to go before people are thinking about candy kittens ahead of Haribo. And, And as long as we're enjoying it and having fun on the way to that summit, then I think we'll keep going, right? Because the... The biggest mistake, I think, is that you think you're going to be happy when you get to a certain place. And we say, okay, well, when we get that first Tesco deal, then we're going to feel like we've made it. The minute you get that Tesco deal, you're then thinking about Sainsbury's. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the next person or the next person or the next person. So for us, it's about the kind of cliche, I guess, of enjoying the process or the journey or whatever you want to call that, but really challenging everything we can. I don't think that we can ever make this brand as big as we believe it can be. Mm. Um, so how do, you, how do you just make sure that you enjoy every step that you're taking on the journey, I suppose? And, and also, like, there's a, we, we partnered with a German company called Catchers. Um, and so the German way of thinking is all about sort of generational wealth. And when they say generational wealth, it's not just by money. It's more about you build a company for, for generations. That's what you do. And in the UK, there's something called the third generation curse, yep. which is grandfather makes it, father sustains it, son loses it. It happens every single time. And it's because we had this idea of, unfortunately, in the UK, we're greedy. And that's why we... And short-termist. Very totally, short-term. yeah, completely. And look, I get it, people are different. And I'm sure people have this idea that you, you know, you can be serial entrepreneurs, start a business, sell it, go on to the next thing. You know, for us, it's, 
Kellygan's, yes, it's a sweet company, but it's also a complete brand. And if you look at the cool brands out there that we can name, Patagonia, things like that, that are really making a difference in this world. I think for us, what we would want to do and what we are doing with Candy Killings is, yes, we're a sweet company at the heart of it, but we're so much more than that. We're creating a brand that is, has meaning and, and goes far deeper than just selling sweets. And we want to create something that not only we're proud of, but we can show to future generations of, that we did something to better the world rather mm. than just take money from it. Yeah. And, and in all honesty... You know, when you're younger, when I was younger, you want to buy that Ferrari and you want to buy that Lamborghini and you want to buy these things. And then you kind of realize they're all man-made. And yeah, sure, you sell a company, you can probably turn left on a plane and go and sit in first class. Do you get there any quicker? Not really. Um, And so, but what gives you real purpose in life is doing something you love and building a brand. And that's what we're doing. Will we sell? Maybe we will. But it won't stop us from, you know, our aim isn't just to sell. It's to build something into something great, Mm. I think. That's a very interesting point because... um, the UK suffers from being English-speaking. The yeah. Americans come over and go, well, we'll buy that. Yeah. And they dangle money in front of founders who've never seen it before and go, yeah, that's worth, that's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's a seven-year cycle for businesses that they, totally. they sell out. And I think it's really, I've always thought it's very interesting how people don't try and build something which is sustainable. Well, you, yeah, 53% of German businesses are still family-run. I'm a bit of a hypocrite, to be honest. But also, I think that comes with, you know, I think it's a blessing and a curse. If you're young and you sell a business, uh, good on you. You make a lot of money very quickly. But actually, then you realize how hard it is to build a company and Mm. then sell it. You know, there's a a great thing which I saw from um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon got the Oscar for Good Will Hunting, right? He got it when he was 22 years old, writing that amazing, amazing movie with Ben Affleck. Um, He says it's the best thing that he ever did to win the Oscar when he was very young because he realized how unimportant it was. Yep. And I think that's what happens with business is that you, you, we spend the whole of our lives building a business to sell it. And then when we sell it, you're like, oh, okay, well, what next? N- nothing's changed. Nothing's, yeah. nothing's different. Yeah, I have. I feel very seen here. I feel, you, but, but you know, but, no, but you no, know what I mean. I like, what you mean, yeah. And, and we would have, I'm sure if someone had came in with a big offer for Candy Killers, you know, probably we would have sold it. Yeah. You know, they, that hasn't happened in lots of different ways and because we've done whatever we've done. But I think it is a blessing and curse yeah. at a young age when that it, happens. It took me three weeks of sitting on a beach being like, what? why have I left? Yeah. Like, what am I doing now? And like, like, like. But how did that work for you? So what happened? So, so we, we listed in 2019. Yeah. Um, and then I exited in 2020. Really? Um, August 2020, yeah. How long did you have the business for? From 19. So 19 to 27. So yeah, seven, eight years. Seven, eight years. Yeah. Was your plan always to exit? Yeah, yeah. Because the idea was like, look, we're in a social media. Social media is new. This landscape is you know, pretty like uncharted. So if we build something very fast and get out, that would be a great story. And we thought in the period of time we could do that, we could learn a lot. And we didn't want to be 40 years old running a social media business because we didn't think that was like where we wanted to go. So we really saw it as a kind of like a university of like Mm -hmm. continued education. Mm -hmm. And then you come out of it and you go, okay, well actually I know so much more about the world now. What am I going to do next? And that's kind of how we approached it. And I think, you know, there's times when you go, that's the right. But then there's times when you go, actually, you know, this was this was something special, but I think what what I really was impacted by was like COVID completely changed the relationship with the business. Yeah, you know, you go at home, you're not in there, you're not with the same same people, and you kind of lose that little bit of love. And mm. I think if COVID ever happened, I think it would be a very different situation. But like with the new business now, for me, it's about building something which is generational. Yeah, they, you, they, well, you've got the best of both worlds, so, yeah, which yeah. is interesting. But but I but I totally agree with you. I think um, I think also if you lose the passion. God, it, like, not the passion, but if you use the desire to give it, you have, that desire has to be, be there. Yeah. And as soon as that desire goes, then you've got to sell or get out. Our chairman, my stepfather, it says to us all the time, it's very 
hard to build a business. It's very easy to sell one. If mm. someone, if your business is doing well, you can sell it, um, and you could always probably sell it. And so I think, um, yeah. But, uh, someone says to me, businesses are never sold; they're always bought. Yeah, yeah because because someone needs it. You know, because it's valuable, like you said there. People, mm. It's very easy to sell it because there's always someone who wants to buy it. Mm, for sure. And because, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Because then you go, okay, well, how about that? <laughs> yeah. It all leaves up, go again. Yeah, yeah, we go again. Here we go. Because <laughs> it's true. You sell yeah, the yeah. for two weeks and then yeah. you go, well, all right, I'm back in again. Let's yeah, go. Let's look do at, the next look thing. Look at your dog and your fiance and go, I'm about to work. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. Exactly. That's what happens. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and let us know if there's anyone you want to listen to for the next Summit podcast.